0: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Spin Cycle Podcast. I'm your host, Kiara McKinney, and there is so much going on in pop culture right now that I don't even really know where to begin. But it is our first episode of Pride Month, so I guess it makes sense to start with Elliot Page's new memoir that comes out this week on Tuesday, June 6th. First of all, I want to say happy Pride to all of our LGBTQIA listeners, listeners, um, obviously this is a safe place for you. That's just such a stupid thing. to have to say, um, honestly, I don't even know what to say about it because it's just so silly, um, these days. And it's so insane that, um, you know, people in this day and age in 2023 have decided that being gay or being, you know, gender nonconforming is just so offensive <laughs> or whatever. Um, you know, whatever. So I'm not going to get into it. I'm not going to bring it down. All I'm going to say is that I love pride month. Um, I love the celebration of individuality and love and unity and community and all that good stuff. Um, but I don't know, I don't have a good spiel prepared for this. I just felt the need (laughs) to say that because of the stupid fucking times that we're living in these days. Anyway, Elliot Page is opening up about their struggle as a transgender actor who grew up in the spotlight. Last week, Elliot shared the first chapter of his book called Page Boy. It's a relationship that he had with Kate Mara, who is an actress who was famous for their work on House of Cards at the time. While Elliot, who hadn't transitioned yet, had recently come out as gay, Kate had not and was, I believe, in a relationship with a man at the time. And she did go on to then marry somebody else, actually the ex-partner of Evan Rachel Wood, who she co-parents with, now, Anne has had two daughters with this man later on as well. Um, so, essentially, Kate um, did give her consent, of course, for Elliot to use this information in his memoir, um, but quite a bombshell that both Elliot and Kate kept this relationship under wraps for nearly 10 years now. In this chapter... Elliot also talks about being in relationships with famous women who didn't feel comfortable coming out at the time, which I think kind of is a tale as old as time when it comes to queer couples. Um, You know, you even see this on modern television when it comes to queer couples when one of them is fully out of the closet and the other one is not, that usually poses an issue because the other one then, of course, feels, you know, like their partner is ashamed of them. Elliot also describes some really harrowing details about a Hollywood actor who says something to the effect of you're not really gay, I just need to fuck you so that you know that you're straight. Horrifying awful and, um, quite frankly, predatory comments made to him by Hollywood actors before his transition. So, um, probably going to be a really powerful book. Um, this is probably one of very few celebrity memoirs that I'll be interested in reading. I usually find celebrity, celebrity memoirs to be quite like self-indulgent. I do really like the podcast Celebrity Memoir Book Club because they basically read the book and like report on it so that you don't have to sit and like read through every painful word that a famous man has written. Um, Usually they're like overly verbose and like one thing that is really hard to do as like somebody who's new to writing, who hasn't like gone through a lot of formal training and writing is like people don't know how long they're supposed to spend on a certain subject and like kind of either, like, jump through things, like, too fast or spend way too long on a certain detail. So, like, that just, like, absolutely kills me with celebrity memoirs. But I have a feeling that this one's going to be a little bit different. So I think I might actually read this one. Another <laughs> gay news, Tennessee's drag ban was deemed unconstitutional by a federal judge who was actually appointed by Trump. While U.S. District Judge Thomas Parker seemed to agree that Drag is, quote, sexually explicit but not obscene, he said, simply put, no majority of the Supreme Court has held that sexually explicit but not obscene speech receives less protection than political, artistic, or scientific speech. A very happy Pride Month, indeed. Indeed. In gay adjacent news, Kim Cattrall is returning to And Just Like That as Samantha Jones, and everybody is excited. And she actually posted to her own Instagram with the news from Variety saying, Happy Pride with the rainbow flag and the trans flag. Sources say that she actually didn't see any of her co-stars while filming. She was able to film much like Raquel and Sheena from 100 yards away at all times. Just kidding. But she really didn't cross paths with them. And they kept this information so under wraps that she never even appeared on a call sheet. So as a reminder, Sarah Jessica Parker and Kim Cattrall's feud dates back to, like, I don't know, the, like, seventh season or something like that. Before the first movie, for sure. And essentially what happened was... Kim Cattrall didn't think it was fair that Sarah Jessica Parker made a lot more money than the other castmates. She saw it as an ensemble show, and famously, the Friends cast banded together to make sure they all were paid the same amount of money, and she thought that their ensemble show should do the same, and she never forgave Sarah Jessica Parker for not lobbying for the other three women to make the same amount as her. All that to say, it is noted that it is a cameo and she will only appear in one scene. She filmed on March 22nd and, like I said, did not interact with any of her estranged besties. It seems like it's going to be a phone conversation, according to E! News. So, by the time this episode hits your ear holes... The first episode of The Idol will have dropped on HBO Max, which is now just called Max, but I'm probably never going to stop calling it HBO Max because calling it Max sounds like just saying like a guy's name, and that's weird. Anyway, there's been a lot of drama surrounding this series, and maybe you haven't heard about the drama at all. Maybe you've been kind of seeing it here and there, but don't know what's going on. But either way, I'm going to break it down for you right now. The Idol is a television series again by HBO that comes from the creator of Euphoria, Sam Levinson. He's the writer, producer, director, showrunner, whatever um, of Euphoria and this upcoming television show. And essentially he's being criticized for making this show a little bit too indulgent of male rape fantasies. His argument is that he's depicting the raw side of human behavior and really probably the underbelly of Hollywood. What we know about the series so far is that it follows a pop star named Jocelyn who's kind of loosely based off all of the 90s pop girls, largely Britney Spears with kind of the impressionable, um, you know, green, susceptible nature of her being we follow her on her journey to stardom kind of adrift and then she falls under kind of the spell of this club owner kind of becomes like a cult leader so to speak who kind of like pimps her out and um, manipulates her and turns her into like a completely different person, which is in a lot of ways what happened to Britney Spears, not necessarily by a club owner, but by a former manager. Um, So in some, I understand why some people are like turned off by the premise and um, also turned off by Sam Levinson being the person responsible for it. I think it's an interesting concept, but um, yeah Sam Levinson is somebody who does kind um pleasure in the like discomfort of female characters I think we see that a lot in euphoria um, as even I'm not even going to say female characters I'm going to say like femme characters um, so uh, this project was first kind of being developed back in 2021 Sam Levinson and someone named Reza Fahim first kind of joined forces and then recruited the Weeknd, who is now going by his real name, Abel Tesfaye. They all joined forces to like develop, write and produce this series and got greenlit by HBO in November, 2021. Um, to produce this, like, series about a troubled singer who, like, falls under, you know, coercion of this um, controlling man. Um, Lily Rose Depp was always, you know, attached to the project to star opposite The Weekend, um, And when they first announced the project, the cast members also included Troy Savon, Susanna Sun, Elizabeth Berkeley and Anne Hesh, who died last August, um, and then let's see, April of 2022 is when things start to go awry, and then the creative team starts to kind of like shift and change courses and refine and whatever. And the story kind of starts to devolve into this like debaucherous kind of, um, you know, rape fantasy thing that it exists as, I guess, today. People start to kind of jump ship and leave the project. Um, Multiple sources tell Variety that multiple episodes that had been ordered had already been shot but will be redone to take the show in a different direction. Um, One of the cast members drops out. Then, in March of this year, Rolling Stone breaks a story that basically alleges that multiple people who worked on the project said they signed up for one thing, a very intelligently crafted, you know, I guess, kind of provocative satire about our current, like, celebrity-obsessed climate um, that kind of has motifs about power and sexuality, but ended up with this very kind of grotesque depiction of just, like, the exploitation of women, Um, and so what they got just was, I guess, a little bit traumatizing to some of the women who apparently worked on the production. Apparently, there was also logistical chaos throughout the whole thing, with scripts constantly being, like, rewritten including like day of, I guess that filming stretched out beyond May through July 2022, all the way through September. A lot of people are saying that they simply won't watch it. Um, Other people are interested to see it just to see like what the fuss is all about. I think I kind of fall into that category. I definitely at least want to watch the first episode. So next week I'll report back on that. Um, And we'll give you an update as to whether I'll be watching episode two or not. This week, Taylor Swift announced her Latin American leg of her era's tour, and she announced that Sabrina Carpenter would be joining as her opener. This launched a huge, like, drama spiral within Generation Z, which is always fun to watch from a millennial perspective. And I'm here to give you the down low on it in case you, like me, are a little bit out of touch. (laughs) So if you don't know who Sabrina Carpenter is, she is a former Disney girl. I believe that her big break was playing Maya Hart on Girl Meets World. Um, She also is a singer. She has several albums. Um, But yeah, she's essentially an actress and singer. She also starred in the Netflix movie Work It. She's also the blonde girl that is referenced in Olivia Rodrigo's famous song, Driver's License. In other words, she dated Joshua Bassett right after Olivia Rodrigo. So let's go back to February 2019. Josh Bassett and Olivia Rodrigo were assumed to be dating around then when they first started starring on the Disney Plus series, High School Musical, the musical, the series, They did a lot of press together, they performed together, they wrote songs together, yada, yada, yada. But then in July of 2020, Josh is spotted with Sabrina at a Black Lives Matter protest. They're spotted out together a little bit more here and there. And then Driver's License comes out in January of 2021. Immediately, Josh responds with his own single called Lie, 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 which, you know, I'm not going to even get into that. And then Sabrina on February 1st, so just a couple weeks later, releases her own response to driver's license called Skin. It's a whole ordeal. Um, But then, you know, Joshua Bassett is a very confused young man. He then kind of comes out as queer. But then this week he got baptized by a megachurch that is like known for sending people to conversion therapy. So who knows what's up with Joshua. um, But ultimately, neither of these women are missing out on anything and they aren't with him anymore. So... Back in the day, Olivia has been, you know, a huge Taylor Swift fan and she covered Cruel Summer on YouTube. I don't know, in 2018, 2019, somewhere along those lines. Taylor saw it and reposted it and praised um, Olivia's cover and Olivia was over the moon about it. And Taylor sent Olivia a gift. Then when... Deja Vu came out, Olivia's second single off of Sour. Um, She openly talked about how it was inspired by Cruel Summer. And then when her full album came out, One Step Forward, Two Steps Back had a lot of similarities to um, Taylor Swift's song New Year's Day. Also, um, a lot of people pointed out Good For You's similarities to Misery Business, etc., etc. So, Olivia, in general, was kind of in a little bit of hot water for pulling just a little bit too much inspiration from other artists without giving writing credits or sampling credits. Essentially, what happened was Olivia ended up giving writing credits to all these artists, on Spotify and on Tidal and all the streaming services, whatever, and shelling out, you know, millions of dollars to those artists. Um, in my opinion, that is the right thing to do, especially considering this, you know, teenager kind of went from being a teenager to a millionaire overnight, um, inspired by, you know, the works of these older people who did kind of um, pave the way for her, I do think that it's fair for her to give them credit, especially when she was saying in interviews, yes, the song is inspired by this song, whatever. Um, So, you know, whatever. But apparently um, rumor has it that Taylor didn't take kindly to the fact that Olivia was kind of going into interviews and saying that these songs were inspired by Taylor without giving Taylor the credit. And I don't think that Taylor really cares about the money necessarily, but I think that she is super um, tight about her, like, rights management in terms of, like, having credit where credit is due. Um, I think that she gets her panties in a wad (laughs) about not being credited for her writing because I mean, after watching her documentaries, especially like she says, like, I know I wouldn't be here if it weren't for my writing. I think she's extremely prideful about it. And she's like, this is my claim to fame, literally. So like, please don't take it away from me. Um, That's kind of how I see the situation. But anyway, um, going back, I don't think that Taylor necessarily is close to Sabrina because she is not close with Olivia because Taylor and Sabrina actually do go way back. Just like Olivia, Sabrina has always cited Taylor as being one of her major musical influence and just like with Olivia, taylor has always been really supportive of that with sabrina and acknowledged that they also just shared a cute little moment at the american music awards last year when taylor won for a favorite music video for all too well Taylor's version um <laughs> sabrina who's very very short presented taylor with the award and taylor just like kind of making a jo- uh, joke joke at their height difference, just, like, patted her on the head, and it was cute. They've definitely rubbed elbows at parties together and things like that, but I don't think that Taylor has necessarily, like, taken her under her wing in the same way that she has, like, Gracie Abrams, Um, but I definitely think that she has just kind of been closer and maybe around Sabrina more than Olivia and was just turned off by Olivia's kind of... um, maybe immaturity, um, at the beginning of her rise to fame. I will definitely be going more in depth on this and other things on this month's episode of Easter Egg Hunt, a Taylor Swift podcast, which comes out this Wednesday, June 7th. I will see you and talk to you then. Now, last thing before we go, we have to talk about Natalie Portman's husband cheating on her with a 25-year-old. I'm particularly shook by this because I happen to think that Natalie Portman is like the most beautiful woman on the planet. Like, I would give anything to marry Natalie Portman. (laughs) Like, I don't know what this man Benjamin Millipede is doing, Like Gerard Piquet and Tom Sandoval and Benjamin Millipede and all these fucking idiots cheating on their gorgeous, beautiful, perfect wives. What are you fucking doing? Actually, what are you doing with your big fucking foreheads and your tiny fucking penises actually jump off a cliff? What's wrong with you? Who raised you? Who do you think you are? Like, is your ego so big or is it so bruised that you literally have to go find the youngest, dumbest, easiest thing that you can get with just to prove to yourself that you're still a man? They're always getting with a young 20-something. I just, and I just don't understand. And I'm not gonna be a woman shamer. I'm not gonna do that. But I do wanna say this. If I have any listeners out there who are under the age of me, (laughs) if you're younger than me and I'm 28, if you're out there and an older man with a nice beard and, you know, whatever, some money in his pocket and a decent car and a savings account. I know that sounds nice, but if he has a fucking wife or even a girlfriend, a woman living in his house just don't it's not worth it cuz guess what he's not going to pick you he's going to pick his wife he just is using you and then he's going to make you feel like shit he's gonna make her feel like shit all just to make himself feel like a badass just to make himself feel like he's somebody because deep down he knows that he's nothing and that he like needs his wife really and he needs to prove to himself that he doesn't even though he knows deep down that he does so he just like has to fuck his wife over by putting his dick in you don't be that person for him be better than that you're better than that okay like have have more self-respect for yourself than that don't be a Raquel don't be whoever this lady is Natalie and Benjamin have been married for over a decade, but the news broke that he cheated on her with some 25-year-old, I think another dancer. They met in 2010 on the set of Black Swan and were married on August 4th, 2012. They have two children together, a son and a daughter, born in 2011 and 2017. On their 10th wedding anniversary, she posted a nice tribute to him on Instagram um, saying it just keeps getting better. She described working on Black Swan saying, I met my husband on that movie, so I was in like dreamland. He was teaching me to dance, you know, one of those romantic stories. It was exciting and fun. It was beautiful. Fear not, though. Our girl Nat is out at a soccer match, okay? She is not with her man. She's in the stands. She's smiling. She's got red lipstick on, okay? She has Christian Dior cat-eye sunglasses on. She is... She's chilling, okay? So don't worry about Nat, okay? She's good, (laughs) wow we got through all of that really quick i guess i'm kind of organized this week um but fear not because there is more content coming this week with easter egg hunt a taylor swift podcast coming out on wednesday june 7th be sure to turn tune into that there will be a lot more where this came from also there will be some substack goodies hitting your inbox make sure you're signed up it is all free from now on because I actually am starting a new full-time job this week so I'm not going to be sticking to a regular schedule so because of that I'm not going to be charging you anymore so go sign up you'll get all of the past present and future Substack posts for free um so yeah like comment subscribe share all the good stuff tell a friend to tell a friend and I'll see you next week love you so much bye (音楽) Music